Hello everyone, welcome to episode 716 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. This season we're chatting with the performers of the Cold Wave 7 Festival in New York City, September 12th to 15th, Chicago, September 20th through 23rd, and Los Angeles, September 26th through 29th. Head to coldwaves.net for the full lineup and ticket links, which include pre-shows, post-shows, and VIP packages. This week we're chatting with Chicago Smart Bar performer Wands Dover. This is Blixaboy.
Well, back in the 90s, there was a big uh, psych rock and space rock and shoegaze scene going on in Denton, also in Michigan and also in uh, Philadelphia. And uh, those were kind of hot spots for that at the time. And um, I used to throw a psych rock festival down here called Melodica Festival. Brought in like Sonic Boom from Spaceman 3s, Silver Apples for show out of retirement. And uh, I was playing in a, a space rock band at the time called uh, Mazinga Phaser. We did a couple albums, did a few tours. I was always messing with ele uh, electronic stuff back then. And I was always into the IDM and uh, and I grew up listening to industrial and you know, I'm a I'm a ch I'm a child of the wax track wax tracks generation. Absolutely, uh, I'll be 45 in September, so you know that's just that's my high school music. <laughs> I guess over the years I just started gravitating more and more to where the electronic stuff used to be like, oh, that's that other stuff I do that's not band stuff. And somehow over the past 15 years, it's actually kind of switched places. Studied uh, electroacoustic music at the uh, uh, semi program at the University of North Texas. Uh, that's where I first got exposed to, like, Maxim SP. And I was still doing band stuff. I mean, heck, I was playing in a garage rock band at the time. But <laughs> I was still going off and studying, like, uh, 20th century composers, you know, Subotnik, Pierre Henry, Stockhausen, all that stuff. If I'm going to be totally honest, uh, everything you've said <laughs> has completely gone over my head besides wax tracks. <laughs> all right. There's an explanation to all that. And that's just, just the weird thing about me. My dad was a professor. My mom's a librarian. I grew up in libraries reading music books, <laughs> so um, which is the reason why I do well as a DJ. Because I actually don't. I play techno and electro sets every now and then, usually when I'm traveling and playing elsewhere. But at home, I'm mostly playing 45 sets. I'm that guy they can like, hey, we need a punk rock DJ. Hey, we need a metal DJ. Hey, we need a funk DJ. And I do that. My music is much more specific. I was doing all the psych rock and shoegaze stuff in the 90s. I kind of came into techno in the early 2000s. Did a little sidestep into dubstep, not the EDM crap, but the, um, the, the root stuff from like 2002 to 2010, 2009. And uh, I had already been in the dub for a lot of years, and that's where Blixaboy was born, was during that whole period. I was really into dub producers, and I was really into like the more uh, the dub influence on a lot of post punk. You know, Bella Lugosi's Dead is like a straight dub tune, really, and stuff like that. I'm a big pop group fan. I love the pop group. Now, when uh, the birthday party, I, you know who that is, Nick Nick Cave. Yeah, when they moved to the UK from the um, from Australia. According to his biography, when they got to, they moved to uh, London because that's where the punk rock scene was. When they got there, they decided everybody was, all the bands sucked and they were all pussies except for the pop group and the fall, uh, which is why I love Nick. <laughs> so the pop group, they kind of uh, did this kind of like avant garde take on dub and funk, but with this angular noise and post industrial kind of thing. I kind of dug all that stuff and, uh, I started doing the Blixboy stuff by way of the dub stuff because I'd already been DJing techno and I, saw, I was like, well, I like dub, let's combine that. And then I, thought, I was like, oh, wow, there's this dubstep thing going on. And I got into that early phase. Um, Marianne Hobbs over on BBC Radio, uh, I wasn't signed to anybody. She just grabbed, she heard a few of my tracks on SoundCloud. She played them on her show. And at the time, she was like the John Peel of BBC. So, and um, some opportunities came out of that. And um, 
I hooked up with uh, a label called Concrete Plastic in the UK. And um, I self-released my first two, but they put out my third um, album. And uh, one of those guys was from AI Recordings, which was like a pretty um, niche, but a pretty niche electro and IDM label that put out a lot of kind of seminal releases. But unfortunately, this is when the, in the era when um, vinyl and digital, it was all kind of up in the air. It's like, oh, what's happening? Okay, let's try this digital label thing. Okay, this isn't working. And then I ended up being the last release on that label. <laughs> so I floated around for a while and then... Uh, I quit my, you know, I kind of left the dubstep thing behind. Started doing some of my experiments with like a fusing Afrobeat and techno, and then I made this record. I made an electro record. And I was like, you know, I'm really feeling electro. There was always a heavy electro influence in my music, and I decided to go for, go for it full throttle. Now, it helps that the Dallas is a weird city that it happens to be a kind of a hotbed for electro. ERP, Cygnus, Plastic Sleaze, Vector Vision. Um, Mario Ito, which is the electro alias of Maceoplex, these are all, that's all Dallas folks. And it's kind of weird because you don't usually find that many electro producers in one city anywhere. And it's not like it's a big scene here. There just happens to be a lot of people to do it here. And all of us put out vinyl on European labels, but nobody knows who we are here. <laughs> I was looking through the billboard list of the top 100 dance and electronic music artists. And I think there were maybe five black artists there. Yeah, you can't go by that. That's a bunch of... No, I mean, uh, honestly, I could send you a link that would give you the complete history and you would know more about that than pretty much anybody, probably. Do you think the issue is in the movie industry where they make an assumption that if you make black actors the star and, and it doesn't have some bankable name that they know about, then they don't think it can do as well. And then Black Panther like destroys the box office or, um, or get out, like destroys the box office. And they realize, Oh, maybe these preconceptions are wrong. So do you think there's that same parallel in the music industry? Um, actually in the, in the context of modern day techno, Detroit is so Wakanda, it's ridiculous. Especially down here, I'm definitely kind of isolated in most places I go. But when I go to Detroit, you know, it's still a lot of white DJs, producers, and that's why, because that's what modern techno is. But there's a lot of black people playing techno <laughs> and dancing to it. And it's not something that I actually get to experience everywhere. But every year for that festival, about 100,000 people show up to celebrate the birth of techno and the birthplace of techno from all of, and about a third of those people come from overseas. It's, it's pretty massive. It's kind of overwhelming, honestly. <laughs> so do you think it's just a matter of time before that breaks out into more of the mainstream and, and people outside of that start to understand more of it? I don't know what's going to happen. America's just kind of is what it is. Um, it is part of the mainstream overseas and everywhere else in the world. It's just not a part of the mainstream here. It's totally mainstream everywhere else. And because of that, most of the American techno and electro artists don't really play America that much. Like, you know, I come from the old school punk rock days and stuff. So I like, I'm like, I want to get out there and play in the States and stuff like that. But I full well know that like the real opportunities are going to become, well, like most of my other friends in town, they're already, hell, my buddy ERP, he's playing in Europe right now. I think he played Amsterdam last night or something. And about every other month, they just fly over there, play like a week of shows, and come home. 
And that is pretty normal for pretty much, not just here, but all the electro and techno guys in the U.S. So meanwhile, people over here are going like, oh, we love this EDM stuff. And we're like, okay. I mean, the Berlin scene is insane. And it's almost cliche how many people, like, they get a few more releases out, they go tour Europe a few times, and then they move to Berlin. I got family here. And I'll, despite uh, Texas being Texas, I actually like it here.
I used to work at Guitar Center, and one of my custodies was Mark Griffin. And, of course, I grew up listening to MC900 for Jesus, and we kind of became friends over the years. And he decided to come out of retirement. So I was doing a Blix Voice set opening up for uh, Meat Beat here in Dallas. Mark had, uh, saw what I was doing, which is, um, you know, my live set. Uh, it's all hardware, no computers. So a couple months after that gig, he was like, hey, I'm going to come out of retirement. Um, DJ Zero's doing other stuff. You want to do it? I was like, sure. And then uh, we got invited to play Cold Waves, and uh, we've done two of those, actually. Me and the drummer from MC900, he was in my band, The Black Dots. That's my main going concern rock band that I've been doing for when I'm not doing electronic music and doing that. But although that's starting to, the lines are starting to blur on that. Max is a super drummer, <laughs> and I got him in on the MC900 gig. And now me and him are doing a all hardware and live drums IDM live project called Last Astronauts. And uh, someone came up to us at a show and was like, man, you guys sound like Can if, you, if Can was from the future. I was like, I think that's the best compliment I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Can, uh, for the record, Can's my favorite band of all time. So, And uh, that stuff has been a huge influence on everything I do. They would like play like eight to ten hours a night and always keep the tape rolling, you know, six to seven nights a week. And then when it came time to make a record, they would edit the tapes into a record, making them kind of the first you know, kind of remix rock band, they would confuse so many different styles of music. That they kind of just ha kind of do their thing that's just them. It's very original. And uh, unlike Kraftwerk, they were, uh, where Kraftwerk was more driven by the synthesizers and machines. Not in the beginning they weren't, but eventually what they became famous for was all the robots. And the... Cam was still a bass player, a guitarist, a drummer, and a keyboardist. And they went through a series of singers. Uh, the first singer was a, a African-American uh, who was a, a expat. Uh, he was a GI that got out of the army and just stayed in Germany and became a singer at Cannes. He had some issues and then uh, had to go back to America. So they found a hobo who was like a, a Japanese hobo who was like doing street tricks. And they thought he was funny. So they're like, hey, you want to be our singer for our show tonight? And the guy was like, sure. And then that lineup ended up making like the holy grail of crowd rock albums, uh, Tago Mago, Iggy Bamyasi, and uh, Future Days. I feel like I'm learning so much in this 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just, I, I, it's, I, I am what I am, and it's kind of hard to like, you know, simplify it. This is good. I feel like a lot of the episodes are just like, I started my band, this is our new album, this is our next album, we're going on tour, and you're like, this is from 1969 to 1974, these were the influential bands that are the reason that we're having this festival this year, and that you can watch me come play and, and be a small part of that. In a nutshell, that actually, that boils it down right there. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm a big collector, I, I, the music thing, and because my mom was a librarian, knowing music history and knowing how things got from A to B, I'm kind of into that. But into the music I specifically make, the success of my life has been uh, being able to go beyond collecting records and collecting actual musical experiences. The most significant of which was playing, uh, are you familiar with uh, uh, the music scene called No Wave? No. 
All right, No Wave was kind of New York's take on post-punk, where the, the British post-punk scene was, you know, Gang of Four, Wire, Fall, whatnot. In New York, they were it was like Lydia Lunch, Fetus, and span called Theoretical Girls, which was started by this key figure named Glenn Branca. Now, Glenn Branca got out of the band thing quick and started doing these uh, compositions for like 15 and 17 guitars, all in alternate tunings. Now, in one of his earliest ensembles, he had these two guys, Thurston Moore and Lee Ronaldo, in his ensemble. And that's where they learned how to do alternate tunings. Thurston was like, hey, my girlfriend has plays bass, and boom, Sonic Youth was born. In other lineups, under Bronca, you had Paige Hamilton from Helmet, uh, Michael Gira from The Swans. And, you know, it was kind of like the grad school for art music nerds, I guess. <laughs> well, at one point, in the early 2000s, in front of the World Trade Center, he uh, did a performance of his uh, Hallucination City for uh, a composition for 100 electric guitars. Uh, one of my customers at work, this girl named Annie, she's better known as St. Vincent nowadays, she had done it. She had done that performance. And St. Vincent wasn't a thing yet. She was like a touring guitarist for some bands. And, you know, she was just cool, Annie. And, um, and, uh, so she was in a store one day shopping, we were talking she was like, yeah, I did this Glenn Bronca thing. I was like, she's like, don't you like him? And I was like, yeah, I kind of worship that guy, man. <laughs> she's like, well, you want to go play? I was like, sure. So, so she connected it. So I ended up getting to play in that hundred guitar symphony three times, once in New York, once in St. Louis and once in Seattle. And, uh, yeah, that's something you can't you can't buy that. You can't replace that. You kind of had to be there. <laughs> oh, actually, uh, yes, there's some YouTube. If you look up Bronca Hundred Guitars, you can actually see some of the. Uh, there's actually some footage of my rehearsal. You don't see me, but but it, even the recording, it, you just cannot capture what that sounds like. Yeah, he's a lifelong hero. I, I feel blessed that I even got to have a lunch break and listen to him cuss about classic rock. <laughs> He was a feisty old motherfucker, dude. I love that guy. So is there anything that you wanted to mention or promote or plug or something like that? Sometime either right before or after festival, I'm actually, I do have a 12-inch coming out on an American label, uh, which would be the, uh, my first time with that. This label called, that was previously digital only, but it looks, uh, but they're going to actually, I'm going to be their first vinyl, their first step in, into doing a vinyl release. And that won't be under Blixaboy, that will be under my Jack Dover alias. And the set I'm going to play at Cold Waves this year is actually going to be leaning very heavy on the Jack Dover, on my Jack Dover material. <laughs> I'll be playing plenty of electro too, but I mean, uh, the Jack Dover stuff, that's the, um, what is it my ex-girlfriend calls it? Oh, death metal techno. <laughs> it's the real hard shit. <laughs>
On this episode, you heard Black Cross and Cyber Reactive Lone Star Tech by Blixaboy and Zarn Duty by Jack Dover. Blixaboy can be found on Facebook. Our opening music is Madmaker by Accumination. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week for our final episode of the season as we welcome back Greg Puchato from the Black Queen. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, fallen Chicago musician, and soundman Jamie Duffy. Here's Jamie's mom, Pat Duffy, talking about what the Cold Waves Festival has meant to her. I'm so fortunate that I had that time in Chicago and I got to meet so many of these artists and got to meet so many people from this scene. And then after Jamie's death, you know, through Cold Waves and everything that's happened, I, that's one of the things I love at the Coldway shows is, is there's just this, you know, people that all, all of the, the guardedness and a lot of the ego is down, even with the fans, you know, they'll bump, bump, you know, with somebody and be like, Hey, great shirt you're wearing there. And it'll be, you know, like from some random band, you know, from some, but you know, somebody else, I got the shirt, same shirt. You like this band. For me, one of the, the sad things from, for me with Cold Waves is, some of the bands, I don't really know their music at all. I'm honest, but I still enjoy it. A lot of the times, because so many people want to talk with me, and I'm constantly in and out and trying to talk with people, there are some acts that I've missed that I've wanted to see, because, and I'm you know, trying to get into you know, the room so I can see them, but somebody wants to tell me a story. Um, and so you know, there are lots of times there are acts that I've missed, or I've only gotten to see one or two songs. Uh, you know, everybody is just, you know, so happy, and it's just such a, a, a wonderful experience.